Uh, well, friends, I, I wonder whether you've uh, lost your mobile phone before. Do, uh, do we have the habit of, of losing our mobile phones? Uh, Isaac does. Um, I frequently lose my phone, and I end up searching frantically uh, to find it. Uh, what I do is I, I ask my wife to uh, call me uh, so that if the phone buzzes or rings uh, somewhere near me, I can, I can find my phone that way. Um, I try to retrace my uh, actions through the day uh, to see whether I can remember the last uh, place where I put it. Uh, I look in all the obvious places. And uh, whenever I lose my phone, it feels like uh, I've lost uh, a part of me. Uh, do you feel like that? Uh, so much of my life is in that phone. Uh, my diary, my uh, contacts, uh, the little notes that I make during the day when thoughts come into my head. And so it feels like I'm searching for my life. Uh, now this morning uh, we're beginning a new series, uh, as, as uh, I said. And uh, I don't claim to be an expert uh, in the book of 1 John. And uh, uh, my guess is that uh, many of us uh, are in that category. Uh, who, who feels confident that they know what 1 John is about? Just put your hand up if uh, you feel confident. Uh, Isaac's scratching his nose. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's not one of those books that uh, many Christians are familiar with. Uh, I mean, it has some uh, really great uh, purple passages in it. Uh, so, for example... Chapter 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, uh, is something that we uh, hear frequently uh, when we, uh, after we say the prayer of confession, for example, uh, to remind us uh, of God's forgiveness. Uh, chapter 4, verse 16, uh, God is love and whoever abides in, uh, abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Uh, is a very popular uh, passage that is preached on uh, at uh, many weddings. Uh, but my guess is that many of us will be unfamiliar with what the book as a whole is about. Uh, one of the great advantages, I think, uh, to preaching through uh, books of the Bible uh, and different books of the Bible each year is that uh, we're actually encouraged to wrestle with books that we don't know very well. Uh, is that true? Uh, if we always preach the same books every year, uh, we'll only get to know that part of the Bible really well. Uh, but we, we're actually encouraged to wrestle with different parts of the Bible. And so I'm really looking forward uh, to the next nine weeks or so uh, in, in learning more about what God has to say in 1 John. Uh, but as we come to the beginning of 1 John, uh, I want to ask the question, where is life? To be found. Uh, where is life to be found? Uh, I began with a rather trivial illustration before about finding my phone, uh, which sometimes uh, feels like my life. But rather more seriously, uh, we are all on the search for a better life, aren't we? Is that true for you? Uh, we want a life that is full of blessing from God. We want a life of peace. We want a life uh, full of joy. But where is such a life to be found? Uh, now, uh, a little bit of a background uh, to orient us to 1 John. Uh, I think it'll be helpful for you to know that John writes this letter 
because there is a particular problem in the church or the churches that he is writing to. Uh, it's not quite obvious what the problem is uh, as he begins the letter, but uh, if you have your Bibles open there, uh, just come down with me to chapter uh, 2, verse 19. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, and uh, we bump into the problem uh, in that verse. Uh, chapter 2, verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Uh, you see, what's happened in this church is that a group of people have left the church. They've departed from the church that John is writing to. And for reasons which we will see later on, uh, these people, I think, are claiming that they have found the real truth. Uh, they're claiming that they found something that is superior to what they had in this church, superior knowledge, superior spirituality, superior experiences. Uh, in other words, they were claiming that what they had was the truth and the church that they were a part of had what was untrue. Now, friends, I mean, can you just imagine what that would have been like for the church? I mean, imagine if a group of people left church at nine because they disagreed with the things that we believe. Uh, perhaps one of the growth groups uh, one day decide to, to leave church because uh, they think that they found something superior or some of the pillars of this church. I mean, imagine if they all just up and left because they claim to have found some superior truth. Uh, you know, uh, I don't think this is too uncommon uh, in churches these days. I mean, uh, how many of us have uh, experienced a group of people who have left church because of issues to do with truth and untruth? Just put up your hand if you've experienced something like that. Just put them straight up. Lots of people <laughs> have experienced something like that. Uh, or perhaps, um, yeah, in, in your experience, you, you may have seen this kind of thing happen. But uh, what kind of effect do you think it would have on the church when things like this happen? Uh, well, for starters, it would be deeply unsettling, don't you think? Uh, people would be hurt, people would be confused. Uh, some of us might even begin to wonder whether the people who have left uh, actually do know something that we don't know. Perhaps they really have stumbled upon the truth and what we are believing in is not quite true. And so, friends, uh, John writes this letter to reassure his readers uh, I initially thought when I read through 1 John uh, a few times that 1 John was about assurance. Um, you know, how do you know whether you are saved or not? Uh, that's a question of assurance, isn't it? Um, you know, lots of commentaries uh, speak about 1, uh, 1, 1 uh, John setting out very various tests uh, to work out whether you're actually a Christian or not. Uh, 
but I've come to change my mind. I think John is more about reassurance than it is about assurance. Uh, he's actually writing to reassure this church that what they have is the truth and what the people who have departed have is not the truth, you see. Uh, I think we might have to ch change uh, the title on our webpage, Tay, because uh, I think it says assurance there, uh, so that's my bad. Uh, we might have to uh, change that around later. But uh, when we get to the beginning of the letter, uh, you'll notice there that one thing that immediately strikes us is John's use of witness language. Uh, we, brief we touched upon that briefly in our kids' talk this morning, but I wonder whether you noticed that. Uh, it's, it's very uh, sensory language that he's using here, isn't it? Uh, we have heard, uh, we have seen, we have touched with our hands. What is John speaking about here? Uh, what is it that he has heard and seen and touched? Uh, well, many people have noticed that the beginning of 1 John is very similar to the beginning of John's Gospel. Uh, uh, in case you're wondering, uh, 1 John is different uh, to John's Gospel, which is at the beginning of the New Testament, uh, which is uh, a biography of Jesus. Uh, the beginning of John's Gospel also speaks about a beginning and uses very sensory language. And so uh, if you have your Bibles there, uh, turn back with me to uh, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. Have you found it? Gospel of John. Uh, for those who have pew Bibles, can, can you yell out what uh, page that, that it's on? 886 uh, in the Pew Bibles. Uh, John chapter 1, uh, verse 1 uh, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, uh, the, it speaks about a beginning. Um, and if you jump down with me to uh, chapter 1, verse 14, chapter 1, verse 14, uh, John says, and this word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, friends, this is talking about the word who existed even before the creation of the world, astonishingly coming into this world to become flesh in the person of Jesus. And so uh, many commentators think that uh, when you turn to 1 John, what he's talking about there is uh, what they call the incarnation, God coming into the world to become flesh. That is what is being heard and seen and touched. But if you read through John's Gospel, uh, what you find is that chapter 1 is not the only place where John uses uh, sensory language. Can anyone uh, think of another place in John where uh, hearing and seeing and touching seem to be important? Does anyone, can anyone think of a place in John's Gospel? 
Yeah, who said that? There was a voice. <laughs> shan shan. Uh, after Jesus re- resurrected, yeah. And uh, um, in particular, um, John chapter 20, verse 24, with uh, the, the, the story of doubting Thomas. So if you have your Bibles there, flip with me to John chapter 20, verse 24. John chapter 20, verse 24. John chapter 20, verse 24 says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Now this is the resurrected Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Uh, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, what does all this mean? Uh, Well, I think that it means that when John writes 1 John, we have heard, we have seen, we have touched, he's actually speaking about the apostles. Uh, the 12 uh, close disciples who were with Jesus. But he's not talking about the apostles just seeing the incarnate Christ, uh, Jesus' life, but they're actually saying they've seen everything. They've seen his life as they've lived with him. They've seen his death. Uh, In John 20, they've seen his resurrection. They've seen everything about Jesus' life. And so they are uniquely qualified to tell others about what they have seen and heard and touched and witnessed in Jesus. Uh, We have confidence in the testimony of reliable witnesses, don't we? Uh, Some of you might know this story, but many years ago when I was in Bible college, um, I had to give a testimony to the police. Um, I, I didn't do anything wrong. Uh, but I had to go to the police station and give a bit of a testimony um, saying that somebody had actually changed the number plates on my car. Uh, When I went out to the car, I saw that the number plates on my car were not my number plates. Uh, It turns out that many other people also gave their testimonies. And what the police did was that they took all these testimonies together And uh, they pieced together uh, what was a crime. Uh, What happened was that somebody stole my number plates, put put their number plates on my car, they stole another car, put my number plates on that car, held up a shop at gunpoint, took off with the money, dumped the car, 
and set it on fire. <laughs> and so from these, uh, all these witnesses who saw each different part of the event, they were able to piece together what actually happened and uh, I was told by the police officer many, uh, many months down the track that they actually caught the person who did it. <laughs> you see, uh, witnesses are crucial to testing the truth, isn't it? Reliable witnesses are crucial to testing the truth. Uh, that's what makes Christianity different from many other re religions. Uh, for example, uh, how do you know that Islam is true? Uh, how do you know that uh, the Muslim religion is true? Well, in Islam, we're told that the Prophet Muhammad had his first revelation from God in an isolated cave near the city of Mecca. Uh, there was no one around. There were no witnesses. It was a private revelation. You can't test whether that sort of thing is true, can you? Or how about Mormonism? Uh, the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, claims that uh, the angel Moroni appeared to him one day and told him about some golden plates, which he later dug up in the ground and translated into the Book of Mormon. But the plates have never been found. There were no witnesses to this revelation from the angel, and so it is not testable. Uh, but Christianity is different. Uh, you can actually read about uh, the testimony of the apostles who witnessed Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, and you can test whether the things uh, that uh, the Bible claims really happened and to see whether Jesus really was who he said he was. Uh, if you are here this morning and you doubt the claims of Jesus to be the one who died for your sins and rose again from the dead to be your king and my king, then the best way to settle those doubts is to read the testimony of the apostles. Uh, find out what the apostles are saying. Check out whether you think they are reliable. And you will see uh, the truth of what is being said. Uh, now, John says that he and the apostles were witnesses of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, and so he testifies uh, and proclaims the message about him. Uh, this is the word that brings life says John at the end of verse 1. Uh, he proclaims the eternal life uh, in verse 2. But for what purpose does John proclaim this message? Uh, well, you can see the purpose uh, in verse 3. Uh, have a look with me at verse 3. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, he says, uh, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, the reason why John proclaims the message that brings life is so that the church that he is writing to will embrace the testimony of the apostles. Uh, he, pro he proclaims the message so that they may have fellowship with us, he says. 
fellowship with the apostles. But notice that if you have fellowship with the apostles, if you embrace the testimony of the apostles, that you are also brought into fellowship with the Father and the Son. Where is life to be found? Well, according to John, we find life in the testimony of the apostles as it is proclaimed to us. According to John, we find life in the testimony of the apostles which has been recorded for us in the New Testament and as it is proclaimed to us. It is wherever this message is proclaimed that we find life. Don't you find that extraordinary? That whenever this message about Jesus is proclaimed and you and I embrace that message, that testimony of the apostles, then we come into this wonderful relationship with the Father and the Son. And as we come into a relationship with the Father and the Son, as we have fellowship with God, we find life. We begin to experience a new life of blessing and peace and joy that begins now, but actually extends and will be perfected into all eternity. Uh, Now, what are the implications of this? Uh, Well, firstly, uh, I think one of the implications is that you cannot find life without embracing the apostolic testimony. You cannot find life without also embracing the apostolic testimony. You cannot have fellowship with God without first being in fellowship with the apostles. Uh, Now, I think that's a crucial thing to understand because uh, have you noticed that many false teachers will never deny Jesus, but they will deny the apostles? Uh, I mean, you will never see a group that claims to be Christian who deny Jesus. You're never going to go into a church where they have uh, on a sign, uh, we don't believe the things that Jesus says. Because as soon as you deny Jesus, you actually uh, disqualify yourself, don't you, from being a Christian. But you do actually see many Christians denying the apostles. Uh, It's usually the apostle Paul. You know, I don't like what Paul says about, you know, uh, sexuality, human sexuality, or or other issues. Uh, But also John and Peter and the other apostles who write. But do you see, friends, that what John is saying here is, if you have fellowship with the apostles, you have fellowship with the Father and the Son. And if you don't have fellowship with the apostles, if you don't accept and embrace their message, then you have no share in the Father or the Son. Uh, Secondly, uh, we cannot access God and life through hearing and seeing and touching in the same way as the apostles. We cannot access God and life through hearing and seeing and touching in the same way as the apostles. Uh, Have you come across people who say, if only I could 
see or hear or touch Jesus, then I will believe. If he actually came to me miraculously and I could see him and touch him, then I will believe. Well, uh, that's nonsense because actually there were people back in Jesus' time who saw him and heard him and touched him who did not believe. Uh, We don't access life by hearing and seeing and touching in that way. Uh, Others try to access life through religious bric-a-brac. Some people think that if you have uh, statues of Jesus uh, on the cross, or if you have incense burning at church, and you have choral music that sounds like you're in heaven, well, that actually gets you in touch with God. You have access to God and you have access to life. It's a very attractive idea uh, at one level, isn't it? You know, I, I wish I could you know, experience God in that way, in tangible ways. I wish I could touch and smell. And... But what does John say? He says, the way we have fellowship with the Father and the Son is by having fellowship with the apostles. Uh, one day, friends... Uh, we will see Jesus face to face, won't we? And that will be a wonderful day. But until that day comes, the way we access God and life is through the testimony of what the apostles have had to say to us. It's through hearing his word and wrestling with it and trusting it and living it out that we find life. Do you know this life? Do you and I know this life that John is speaking about here? Uh, Do we know the joy of fellowship with the Father and the Son through the testimony of the apostles? Uh, We are writing these things, says John, so that our joy may be complete in verse 4. Now, friends, uh, I don't know whether you noticed, uh, but... uh, John does a very strange thing, uh, I think, uh, at the beginning of this letter. Uh, Remember that the problem John is addressing are false teachers who have departed from the church. Um, But notice that he doesn't actually speak about the problem until a bit later in the letter. Uh, You see, this isn't like, uh, for example, Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, If you remember what happens in that letter, uh, Paul comes out swinging uh, right at the beginning, doesn't he? Uh, You foolish Galatians, uh, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed, says Paul. But John doesn't do that here. Rather, John speaks about Jesus. Uh, The first five verses are all about Jesus, whom the apostles have heard and seen and touched. It's all about the one who brings life. Uh, If you come down with me to verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7, Jesus is the one whose blood cleanses us from all sin. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus is the advocate with the Father who speaks up for us when we sin. 
chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins who turns away God's anger from us. Why would John speak so much about Jesus when the problem is false teachers who have left the church? Uh, I don't know what your first uh, job was, uh, but uh, my first job was working in McDonald's. Um, and my second job uh, was working in a factory that made rugby league jerseys. Uh, Matt would be pleased to know. Uh, I worked for a company that made jerseys for the New South Wales uh, rugby league side. Uh, I actually have no interest in rugby league uh, whatsoever, uh, but that was my job and it was a way to make money. And uh, my job in this company was quality control. Uh, what they did was they sat me down and they gave me uh, a perfect jersey. And uh, I had that perfect jersey next to me. And then they would give me a bunch of jerseys that they had just produced. And I would just have to check those jerseys against the perfect one. And uh, if it didn't match up, I would throw it out. And if it did match up, then I would send it off uh, to be sold in Kmart or whatever it is. Uh, you see, I think uh, that's a little bit like what John is doing here. Uh, he's holding up Jesus again and again and again in the beginning chapters of 1 John so that when he comes to deal with the false teachers later on in the letter, it will become evident that they are the ones in error, uh, not the church that he is writing to. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom uh, in this, isn't there? When there is a dispute over truth and error in the church, uh, sometimes the best thing to do is to keep on holding up what is true. Uh, there is a place, I think, for speaking more directly against false teaching, but sometimes what we have to do is just keep on uh, saying what is true in the hope that it will illuminate uh, what the false teaching is all about. Uh, I uh, spoke to uh, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, a couple of times um, in, the, in, the, in the last year, and uh, I've come to realize it's a futile thing just telling them that they are wrong, because <laughs> uh, they will just come and say, well, you're wrong, <laughs> and it'll just spiral into an argument. Uh, now, the best thing sometimes is to keep on opening up the scriptures and saying, this is who Jesus is. This is what the apostles say Jesus is all about in the hope that the error of people's ways will become evident. Uh, well, let me finish up. Uh, we began this morning by asking the question, where is life to be found? Uh, well, the answer that John gives is that life is to be found in the witness of the apostles who testify and proclaim the message about Jesus who brings eternal life. It is through this message about Jesus that we are taken up into fellowship with God, uh, into the life of God, so that we have uh, fellowship with the Father and the Son and enjoy the life that comes from them. Uh, what is eternal life? Uh, well, it's not the Hollywood understanding of life, is it? Uh, you know, Hollywood paints a picture of uh, life in heaven being about fluffy clouds and plump angels and uh, uh, lots of um, 
choral singing, and people think to themselves, uh, if I have to be there for the rest of my life, for all eternity, uh, that sounds rather like a curse than a blessing. But no, the life that God offers here is a life of abundant blessing. It is a life of fellowship with the Father who wants good for us. It's a life of fellowship with the Son who loved us and went to the cross for us. It is a life of joy. And as we will see next week, it is a life of light rather than darkness, of purity rather than evil. It is the best life. Do you know this life? Have you embraced what the apostles say about the risen Jesus who is the Christ and King of this world? If you have, then you will know something about this life already. You've seen something of it already, and God has promised it for all eternity. Let's pray.